XR Motion Podcast with your hosts, Michael Steinberg and Andrew Hogue. Welcome to the XR Motion Podcast, where we talk about everything AR, VR, 3D, AI, metaverse, whatever that is, NFTs, you name it, we go over it. Today, we are back and excited to get going. Uh, We have our co-host here, Andrew. Andrew, how's it going, man? It is going. Um, We're officially at the like less than eight hours of sunlight in New York because winter (laughs) is coming. So that's been a thing to deal with. But yeah, no, super super good otherwise. And very excited to chat with our guest today. Yeah, it's uh, can't even talk about the depressing nighttime hitting at uh, 5 p.m. But yes, to brighten the day up a little bit, we do have a phenomenal guest on. We have John McColgan, and he is just, his work and resume is fantastic. Um, Just to get it going here, he is a 2D freelance motion designer and animator based here out of New York City. After graduating from the Fashion Institute of Technology in 2016, he spent the last several years creating graphics for clients, including Vox, No Way, Yes Way, Wall Street Journal, Politico, uh, the NFL, Let's Go Panthers, where are you at, uh, and YouTube. <laughs> Um, sorry, not to throw out. We're going to start arguing about that. <laughs> and uh, and he's also worked on with Vox on the Mind Explained series, which was nominated for an Emmy in 2020. And he was selected as an Adobe Max co-creator for the motion design in 2021. A passion for uh, collage and hand-drawn animations. His work covers a broad range of topics from exploring depths of the human psyche to ethics of selling trash on Amazon. Guys, we have John McColgan. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Dude, absolutely. Absolutely. Massive fan of your work. I mean, I've watched, I think, the Vox, uh, The Mind Explained multiple times. Like, Like, that's one of the few shows I've watched multiple times. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I have so many questions. And um, I just want to say for anybody, you also have a great Instagram. And um, I think you're on Instagram. Are you on um, Twitter as well? Uh, yeah, until the ship goes down. All right. <laughs> I, it's, it's going. It's going way quicker than you'd think, man. It's crazy. My, all right. We'll, we'll stick for uh, Instagram. But we have um, just want to say because I always recommend people check out uh, the artist work um, before listening to the episode because it's just great to see what they produce. Just really helps put you in a good headspace. Um, but the tag is at Johnny, so it's J O H with three N, so J O H N N Y two X four. You missed an N. You missed an N. Did I? Did I only say two N's? Oh my gosh! Okay, three N's. Well. It's three N's. I'm not going to repeat it because I yeah, think just, we've made it we'll, clear we'll that put it three Yeah, we'll, we'll link it out for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. Well, so that is awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I guess to get it started, man, um, well, I'll just ask, what got you into the motion design community, if you don't mind? Like, how, how did you get started in all of this? Sure. So uh, that's funny. I, I started at the Fashion Institute in 2011. I was studying illustration, so I did a, I did a two-year associates there, and then 
they have an animation program, but it's not a four-year, so you only do a two-year bachelor's there. So I started in illustration with the intention of going to animation. Mm. So I actually started in 3D, and we were learning uh, soft homage. Wow. If heard. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a bit of an ancient software, and uh, unfortunately it did go EOL uh, the year I graduated. So oh. sort of studio relevance that gave me... Not so many prospects, and luckily I was getting pretty adept at, at uh, After Effects at that time. Uh, just going through, doing tons of Mount MoGraph tutorials <laughs> to bulk up my portfolio. And uh, after like maybe a year after graduation, I was taking a lot of uh, freelance work on. I was applying to a lot of full-time gigs, but not getting anywhere with that. And uh, mm. pretty much a year or two after graduating, I had built up enough of a freelance base to just keep going and now i'm on this year is going to be seven years in wow december yeah that's congrats nice. that's a, a huge achievement for sure um i know so many people where it's used it's it can be very touch and go with the full full-time freelance thing so congrats on making that work um interested interesting to hear that you have a background as an illustrator because i feel like that might that that makes so much sense when i look at your work in terms of your your style your motion style um did you find kind of translating those skills to be like a very seamless process and felt really natural to just kind of as an illustrator start working in After Effects, maybe doing like some cell stuff or maybe just working with vector and doing vector animation? It is interesting that you asked that because uh, when I was starting out and just learning the basics of After Effects, I struggled for a while to kind of like find a good way to translate that hand-drawn type of style into it. and. Cell animation, I only really started doing once I started working at Vox. So I kind of, I learned mm. animation backwards in a way. I started with 3D, went to MoGraph, and then I learned 2D after the fact. Wow. And next is going to be uh, hand-cell-drawn animation, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're going all the way back. I'm just going to get going the drafting desk out pretty soon. Paper and print. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So where are you currently at now? Are you doing more of the freelance thing or um, what's kind of like your day-to-day -day looking like? Uh, so currently I'm doing, I'm still freelance. I'm doing a contract right now for Bloomberg. On, nice. I'm working on another show right now that I'm not sure if I'm allowed to disclose what it is, so I'm just not going to. <laughs> but uh, it should be coming out sometime next year around spring. That's awesome. So how did you get, like, what was the what was the process of, of I mean, you've worked with a lot of, a whole broad range of networks right for that are all you know some news based some entertainment based some maybe like a hybrid of both but um you know how did you what was your first experience like getting into that kind of media and maybe also how has it changed i feel like it's got to be a, a pretty crazy space to be in right now given how we everything's pivoting from traditional media to streaming and you know it's it's really like the content game is cranked up in so many ways yeah no absolutely so um been working with a lot of like news companies and doing like just a lot of web video stuff now probably for last four to five years it started for me um in 2017 i started working with vice uh for like most of 2017 i ended up working on their their snapchat team and that was kind of my mm. my first foray into like journalism and like news media mostly doing snapchat stuff um but still um it was a cool place to work i got a lot of creative freedom kind of just portray articles the way that I wanted because a lot of it would be like they would give you 
summaries of articles and be like, we need to digest this and like put it into Snapchat form. So here's the main beats, give us something relevant, show us some style frames and then make it move. And that would be nice. my day to day. It'd be like, here's your quota. You got to do at least six snap stories a day. And I was going to say, what is the turn? And like, what's That's the turn? Right. Yeah. yeah. You're getting like, what yeah, you're was... getting, you're getting, you're getting kind of like prompts or, or briefs, like first thing in the morning. And by the end of the day, you have to have it turned around. Uh, not even that. It was like a giant tracker with like literally a calendar for like the next three months and like how far behind we were. And it's like, here are stories that are up for grabs and it would kind of just be like first come oh. first serve. It's yeah. like, so you'd really want to get in like early and try and grab the cool stuff. Right. right. Oh, interesting. Oh man. That's funny. I didn't even think about that. So you guys would actually have like day-to-day -day stories and they were just kind of like, Hey, it's a pool of work you know, just tag your name on what you want to do. Yeah. So pretty much like that, like a giant, like Excel tracker. Um, wow. Everything that is crazy. It is. And honestly, like day to day stuff would be like, if it was kind of like a slow week, they would be <clears throat> taking old articles and like rehashing them. So it'd be like stuff that came out on the site, like three, four years ago. <laughs> and then some weeks it would be like breaking news would happen. So it'd be like, all right, this is, this is ramping up, like, forget all of the backlog stuff. We're covering this right now. Yeah. Wow. So that was also kind of like hitting, like, Snapchat's almost prime when it was around, what, it was 2017, I feel yeah, like. That it was, was still pretty popping. I mean. Yeah, that was kind of like, I don't want to say the height of it, but it was it was definitely when Snapchat was still, like, on top of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. So then where, where did you wind up um, making the switch after that? And what led to the switch? Uh, so, um, on top of working for, for Vice across most of 2017, I was also freelancing on and off for, uh, for a small startup called Grovo, which is now, uh, they're called Cornerstone On Demand. They got bought out around 2019, I believe. Mm. And that is like the main key for me working with, with Vox, believe it or not. So, um, this place, they had like a cool design direction, but they decided to rebrand in 2017 while I was working there. And just the new direction was kind of like, hey, we really love Vox stuff. Can you make us stuff like this? Like, here's the Shutterstock account, blank check. Just, again, it's like they were like HR training videos. So it was like not interesting at all. <laughs> but it was still like, there's a lot of content to be made and so many hours in the day that I just had to get through it. And uh, that ended up being uh, a bulk of my portfolio for 2017 in my reel. And that was when I did finally apply for Vox, my portfolio was so much of that like collage styled stuff that I had done for Grovo mm. that they were like, oh, okay, you get our style completely already. <laughs> so it kind of nice. just made that whole uh, interview pretty easy. That's oh, amazing. That's I mean, I, you know, I'm sure it was, I, I hear you on like, you know, getting, getting projects where maybe the subject matter isn't something that you're like jumping out of your seat uh, because you're so excited about it. But I also feel like that's kind of a sweet spot to be in because in some ways the stakes aren't as high. I don't, you know, I mean, I'm not to say that like HR content is not important, right? I mean, that's, it could be argued that it's, it's really, really important and it needs to be very well done so that people that work at a company understand, you know, what they're signing up for or whatever. But at the same time, it's like, it gives you the, it gives you the freedom and flexibility to sort of, uh, you know, build this style up. And it sounds like it couldn't have gone better for you. Oh no, absolutely. So that was like the main thing working there was like, I had, again, pretty much creative freedom with restrictions, like certain limits on what I could and couldn't do. Obviously being tasteful since it is like HR content, you don't want to be 
too crazy with what you're doing. Um, yeah. But I did have a lot of freedom to tackle videos the way that I wanted to design everything the way I wanted to, mostly because it was pretty much just me and the creative director. So just all of that communication was right there, me and one other person, which kind of just made it really easy for me. Nice. Yeah, that, <clears throat> that's a total streamline. That's great. You know, something I want to follow up with is like, I mean, aside from a, a really, really well done aesthetic that you continue to like take places that you probably, you know, I mean, it's, it's not just the sort of like Vox style. I mean, it's like the Vox style, but then as you go through your portfolio, it's the Vox style plus what you're bringing to it. Um, I think you've, you know, you've done a great job of aesthetically having something visually that's interesting, but I'm also taking in the fact that like, you seem to be working on projects that are distilling complex topics or that are like very much about informing people um, and distilling it down into like these, these tidbits that become universally digestible. I feel like I have to ask, is that, you know, is that something that you feel like you find yourself positioning yourself as like that, that's something I'm good at in addition to also making all this amazing visual work. So the cool thing about working at, at Vox is that pretty much like, I would say like 60 to 70% of the producers there all know how to use After Effects and a lot of them mm. do animate to some level. I've met producers there that are like actually insane animators. So uh, Adam Cole, who worked on season two of uh, Explained and was uh, pretty key in the mind Explained, he's actually an insane animator because before he worked at Vox, he was at NPR doing uh, Skunk Bear. Mm. If you've seen okay. that, those videos are crazy. He's... yeah insanely talented so that carried over in a great way because a lot of producers there can think visually and they can like sit down on a brainstorming session with me and literally like sit there and board stuff out with me which is tremendous yeah and like such an advantage too because if you're in a situation where you're not working with someone with a, a very like in-depth technical background especially i would imagine where you're you know if it's like the news space or you know this sort of where everything is already on a timeline that you probably wish you had a little more wiggle, wiggle room with. Sometimes you get asks that you're like, I don't know how to explain to you, but like, yeah, we can't do a like hand-drawn uh, four minute animation for a, a piece that has to drop tomorrow. Like physically it's not possible. <laughs> it's not even, not a question of motivation or inspiration. It's just, that is, you know, you'd need a team of like 20 people working around the clock until it drops. But um that's I'm I'm actually pretty jealous because I find myself working on the opposite end of the spectrum more often than not. Yeah, I I can't even comprehend it. The it's also just sometimes hard to take feedback from people when they don't know what they're talking about. So I can't imagine having an actual producer who knows exactly what you're going through and what's in your head and just what it takes to get a project done, giving you that feedback. That must've been just so cool there. I mean, I, I that's crazy. That's, and, and I mean, it, it shows, that's why, you know, I think Vox has the best explainers, like hands down, you know, um, do. it, it makes sense. <laughs> I, I've literally had, I've worked on projects where the client is like, that is the reference point. They're like, if you want to know what style we want, <laughs> have you ever heard of Vox? <laughs> you know, like, and I'm like, yes, I have. And absolutely get it. Yeah. Got it. Um, John, you're right. So you, you're, you, you do this awesome work for Vox, right? How, what does it feel like to work on a show that gets nominated for an Emmy? Like that's, mm. that was, I mean, it, it was a surprise for me. I was super ecstatic about it when we heard. Um, and that was what you, that was 2020. Yeah. So that was uh, September, 2020. We, wow. we found out we got nominated. Wow. 
and that was uh working on that was uh honestly just like a different experience from season one because uh i mean the explained episodes kind of have pretty much their own art direction for every episode which was kind of the thing i loved about working on it was kind of like every episode was like we're going at this from a different direction and it gave you a lot of freedom but um season two for the mind explained it was me and uh yuval hawker it was me and yuval doing uh the five episodes together where i took uh two he took three and then on the fifth episode we kind of met in the middle and just nice that was kind of like the start of of a uh, of vox going for like hey we kind of want to do sell for this and i was kind of like uh going at it together to try and figure out how to make cell work on that production schedule what was this get like what what were the turnaround times like uh so the they were they were the same across i think all three seasons it was five weeks wow for the whole season or i mean uh, but you oh no i'm sorry like five five weeks per episode oh okay you, when you watch the animation it's like you can and it, it you know it sounds like so how many people day to, day in day out were doing the actual keyframing and animating yeah so well we we did have junior animators um which wow. was super helpful. Um, so, but five weeks is fat like that. Five I, weeks oh, from from like style from like style frames, getting the art direction approved, doing the you know, God, man, that is. Uh, I can only do like happen. one of those projects a year because I just it, it I would burn out. So I mean, I would just yeah, that's very impressive. I mean, sometimes too, the scripts were uh, still being revised no, don't say the five it. weeks. Don't so. say it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like, what is that, you know, when you're dealing with information along those lines, I mean, it, it's pretty, like Andrew was saying earlier, it's big topics that get shortened down. What is that process like? Like, are they handing you just the, a script saying animate this? Or do you have any involvement in kind of how the script might be produced in order to kind of guide your animation. Um, what is it kind of like working with the writers there? Sure. So um, the thing would be every episode would have like a, a single producer and an assistant producer. And the producer would be pretty much also writing the episode on top of like handling mm. all of the other aspects of it. Wow. So then like you're, you're it, it is very much creator driven. And it's kind of like all yeah. hands on deck. So it'd be pretty. Do you get like a, a reference, like a, a, a cold read of like a script, even if it might be changing? Oh, yeah. But like, you know, I'm sitting here thinking also having done explain your videos where so much of it is dependent on timing, you know, just on the, the timing of a voiceover, the timing of music, whatever it might be to inform what the final kind of animation is doing. Um, but you at least had that, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. No. So so like the first week would be like I would already have a radio edit before I would even get on to the. Uh, to the project so that would be like first day mm -hmm. i get a radio edit and i get the outline of the script and certain areas that are important to have animation are highlighted for me on on we had like a rudimentary graphics tracker nice i shouldn't say that's we had we had we had like a pretty pretty decent graphics tracker it was also all over google docs yeah but there was then, yeah so obviously there was a, a process in place for you know, the rapid sharing of assets, like as they're changing and. Oh yeah. So that was like everything was like when you were doing anything, you were updating over Slack, like, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm working on right now. And just keeping everybody uh, in touch with one another. It's so, it's such a good 
testament to like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it sounds like you have a lot of technical skills that came together in the right way, but you know, kind of like I was asking earlier, it's just, you know, I think we've talked on other episodes that we've done this where it's like the ability to, you know, it's such an undervalued or understated part of our work, but like the ability to take these huge topics, right. And, and whether it's like, in some cases it's marketing based other, you know, other scenarios, you know, you're, you're giving actual, uh, information on a topic. It could be like, you know, science-based. It could be, I mean, that media exists everywhere, but the ability to distill that stuff down and still make like something really cool is, is just such an awesome pocket to be operating in. Oh, I love it. That's where I thrive. Yeah. So I want to ask, I mean, when you were at Vox prior to not to bring up the, the dark side of the past, but you know, you said you're at the NAMI uh, animation was in 2022 of September was everything in office prior to that. And then did you guys have to kind of like adapt, you know, during, during the pandemic of that time? Uh, yeah, the uh, the nomination was twenty twenty. Yeah, so we, I guess we're. What's got, the we're date you... on COVID? We're like, is it? I, I think it was March of twenty twenty. So yeah. I, I guess like I, I was just asking, like, how, how was that transition? Were you guys in the office before? I know sometimes oh, I nice. talk to people and they're like, "Oh, we were actually already working from home." So, um, um, well, when the nomination came in, I, I hadn't worked on the the show for like a year at that point. So uh, oh, the mind okay. explained right, was done in yeah. like 2019. Okay, right, right. I did, I did do like a little bit of uh, assistant animation work on season three, which was during uh, 2020. Mm, mm. And that was all. That was all uh, remote. Getting an idea of you know, pretty good idea of where you where you've been. I'm curious, like, what are you up to right now? What are what projects are you excited about? Um, you know, maybe stuff we've seen in your, in your portfolio, maybe stuff we haven't, I know you said you have something that's, uh, that's coming out. You might not be able to talk about, but I, you know, even vaguely from a technical standpoint, you know, what kind of stuff are you interested in? Uh, sure. I mean, so as far as, uh, projects that I have worked on this year that should be out relatively soon and I can talk about, um, I just did an explainer a couple months ago for, uh, the rise center in Maine, which is, uh, basically a teacher resource program that gets teachers up to like northern, more remote parts of Maine to areas where there aren't as many teachers or teachers are taking on multiple roles, teaching multiple subjects, and basically just trying to get people up there and get the resources they need to like teach kids and <laughs> give these kids more, more, uh, what'd you say? Basically give the like more teachers in these remote areas so that the kids have more opportunities and it's not the same teacher that's spread across like five subjects. There was one lady we interviewed who she was, she was the principal and she was teaching like three subjects. It's like crazy. Right. And like class sizes are like maybe massive. Um, you know, I can't, I, I'm like, I can hardly be in a room with like five kids without being like, I don't have, I don't know how, I don't <laughs> oh, know how no, to control the situation at all. Imagine just like, <laughs> You know, some teachers get get these massive class sizes too, as well. That's awesome. I mean, as an aside too, um, it's so interesting because I do think that's like a, a an area that I didn't think. I've also done some like education tech stuff. You know, like an explainer video for a, a company that was. You know, the entire the end game was like all they were trying to do is provide resources to teachers. 
Um, and I feel like I hear, I hear this happening more and more. And I think it's good. I think it's also just interesting that we're kind of at a time where like teachers need to seek that sort of support outside of what they're already getting provided, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's like state resources, local resources, but, um, but yeah, that's an, that's an, to to our point earlier, I feel like that's gotta be such an awesome way to sort of continue to utilize that skill set of taking, you know, distilling education into like digestible content. Oh, absolutely. And it's just, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Oh, so, no, I was going to say just like in, in relation to like the teachers thing, like nowadays they're, I wouldn't want to be a teacher now. They have to put up with, with so much in a post COVID world. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's, I feel like there needs to be more animation or better explainer topics for teachers that can help teachers, even if it was maybe just in the beginning of a class or something to kind of get kids interested. Because I mean, they're going online, they're looking at TikToks that have motion graphic, you know, with very well edited scripts and, you know, they're speaking at twice the speed because it's TikTok and you know, they're just getting information like that. And then you go into the classrooms. It's, I just, yeah, it's like 15 seconds long. <laughs> and they all have their cell phones there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's, it's tough. And it's kind of interesting, too. And it's funny that even when you mentioned HR stuff, it's, I feel like even my attention span's gotten kind of short, because some of these HR videos we have to watch are just unwatchable. It's like oh, I retained yeah. no information. <laughs> yeah. I I was having the hardest time trying not to fall asleep during that thing, you know. Um, so it's it's, <clears throat> you know, I think having the animation course or animations in education is just such a vital thing. And I think we're going to be just seeing so much of more of that in the future and as this field grows and. Um, Speaking of high school teachers, my wife is a high school art teacher, funny enough. Um, and yeah, it's, it's exciting. I think we're going to have a lot more animators. This year, she told me for the first time ever, she always asked the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she had not one, not two, it might have been two, but three <laughs> uh, motion, kids say they wanted to be motion designers when they grow up. She's like, do you even know what that is? What? They're like, yeah, we know what that is. So that's pretty cool, you know? It's- oh, that's that's great to hear. I didn't even know what motion design was until like I had almost graduated college. So. <laughs> yeah, and then that's- I feel like by the time I knew what it was, it's like not, you can't, it's, it's kind of like a bit of a loaded term now too, where it's like, you're like mm-hmm. motion design and then like people who are in the you know industry are like all right well is it like 3d is it vr is it ar is it um you know are you doing like you know there's just such a broad umbrella now of of what that encapsulates but but i'm with you i i had no idea what motion i, I was like i guess i want to make like um you know the first thing i did was kinetic typography and for me i was like i guess this is i don't know what to call this and then people are like yeah mograph <laughs> yeah I, I remember I was just like explosions. I like Star Wars. I want those expl- I want to put those on screens. And then uh, after realizing that muzzle flashes and explosions was just roto tracking, I was like, "F this!" Yeah. I was like, "This worst, is not fun." Worst <laughs> at worst all. Part of the job, yeah. yeah. <laughs> T- take take roto out, please, as soon as possible. I'm, I can't oh, do it. Um, yeah. Actually, that's kind of a good foray. Uh, so I'm curious, what is your um, like, what's your technical process like? I mean, I, you know, obviously, uh, collage collage work seems to have like a big influence. But 
what is, you know, how do you source images? How do you come up with sort of, you know, you do have like this really great analog feel to everything, sort of grittiness, no, you know, a lot of, a lot of cool noise texture stuff going on, but yeah, what is your technical process like and what kind of inspires you as you're getting a project kicked off? Uh, sure. So, um, as far as like sourcing collage assets, Shutterstock, always a big one, always fun. Uh, and then textures too. I love like scanning some of my own stuff in. That's usually the best way is like, really? Oh yeah, no, it's fun. I just got the flatbed, you know, scan a beanie with like all lint on it for, for like a fun background texture. Cause what? That's awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah. What and kind then, of printer and scanner are you using? Just like a household one, or you I'm have like, like some monster? Uh, no, not not like a fancy print. I have like an Epson Workforce, like multi-purpose printer. I just put it on the flatbed there. Wow. Actually, what's crazy is I've I've only scanned my tech. I had a project where I needed a lot of paper textures, and then for some reason it was just like everything I was finding was like not not working. <laughs> and so I was like, let me just. I have a scanner. I didn't realize. I mean, I have an old S printer, and that scanner scans at like 8K resolution, like very high resolution. Oh, and it wow. was like a $150 printer from Best Buy, I think. Like, I actually ended up not doing the high resolution scans because one, they took forever. I was like, why is the scan taking 30 minutes? But uh, I would have never thought to scan a beanie, though. That's so you're just throwing anything on there, basically. Oh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> if, wow. If it works. Yeah. And then, so you uh, can like literally be watching like a show and be like, yeah, that's my hair lint right there. <laughs> Those speckles, that's all my hair lint. <laughs> maybe nothing in any official work yet, but I, I have some stuff that I'm working on right now for personal work where some of those things that i've scanned will definitely be in there oh dude talk about that's like so epic you can just be like i you know i really poured a lot of myself into that into this piece like actually if you look right there that's a little bit of my hair right up there in the corner that's an eyelash i'm physically leaving myself on the canvas um and i'm also curious like what about you know as a background you know your background as an illustrator i would imagine informs some of this but i also have such a a like I have so much respect for people that have like mastered just color, you know, like coming mm. up with really nice palettes and putting things, you know, not only as like an aesthetic thing, but as for points of emphasis, but you know, is that, is that something that you focus a lot on? Uh, here and there it's uh, something that, that definitely comes along in the process. Um, at this point I have a giant folder that's just called palette rips where it's like, I just take screenshots of like, anything i consume throughout the day where i'm like i like the colors and that and then i just put it in there just drop it into photoshop and rip a palette from that yeah. and that's like 90 percent of like where i get it my palettes from now just all come from that folder <laughs> wow that's sick that's a good idea yeah i, I feel like color that. theory is the one thing i'm just so bad at so any any tips like that i just i need to start implementing quickly I feel like my palette is always uh, gold, gray, black, and white. That's that's the main I mean, colors I use. Colors, I yeah yeah. It's uh, you know, but then I see people with like rainbow stuff, like and just your work, just the bright saturation. I, so good. I find myself just really catching these like waves of like. For some reason, I'm really into purple and blue right now, and everything I'm making is mm. purple and blue. But like, I look at your portfolio, and it's you know, or even just like your social stuff, where it's every you know one after the other has got. It's just so diverse, um, and you know, like I remember when I first like discovered how much I love dark mode and all of the graphics I was making. I was like, it has to be like a dark color, you know. It's <laughs> got to be it's dark mode or nothing. Um, mm -hmm. And so, wait, you said you're doing 
uh did i are you doing stuff for wall street journal right now or bloomberg uh i'm doing stuff for bloomberg and then i do i do stuff for wall street journal pretty sporadically throughout the year so i was actually doing some work from them for them last week mm. doing a bit of roto and a bit of track <laughs> the fun stuff yeah. <laughs> it's a, the one thing i love about roto i won't lie i just had to do a whole four or five hours of it pretty and it was on a kind of a deadline it was crazy but i love that you can just when you need to chug a cup of coffee or get a red bull and just blast the music you know there's not really any audio cues you need to actually listen to which is i'm always thankful for when i can just crank my volume up and get in the zone so yeah i um, feel that i mean there are definitely tasks that like a lot of people don't like solving cameras either. I find camera solves to be really rewarding sometimes. I mean, it can be awful when it doesn't work because you're like, I don't know how to fix this. But on the occasion that you get like a good roto or camera solve that you can do in like less than 30 minutes and yeah, crank, crank the music up. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, John, is um, I noticed just like on your website. So, you know, art direction is kind of listed as as maybe a, an identifier for where you're at. So is that something that you've always felt that you've been doing or is it something that you're trying to do more of? Like as you, you know, you obviously can hack it doing the work you're doing now in a really great way. I mean, working on shows nominated for Emmys, like it really doesn't get better than that as like a, an animator in the day to day. But, you know, kind of looking ahead in terms of where your career is at, what kind of work you want to be doing in the future? And, you know, are you interested in directing, producing, that kind of stuff? Uh, maybe directing down the line but that's that's a long way down the line um as far as just listing myself as an art director i think it's only in the last like year or so i felt comfortable like putting that up on my site because i for a long time i was like i don't know am i there yet but a lot of the projects now especially go on my site and pretty much all of my projects now is just i get a script and then i just build it up from there so it's like i'm just taking everything through all stages of the process and i hit a point last year where i'm like you know what it's going on there yeah no it's so true it's it's so interesting to hear you i mean that's the exact same i do so much direct to client work where it's like for the longest time you only think of yourself as oh i'm in it you know i do motion design work and then suddenly you're like oh wait but you know this went from a script with like no other designers work you know in some cases working just all on your own you know bringing something to, to life like that so that's awesome that you you feel comfortable because I mean yeah I, I would love to see you know it's great to see like artists you know and you're talking about your experience at Vox where it's like working with producers who have technical backgrounds or you know the second that you kind of extend yourself out into maybe not actually doing the day-to-day work but maybe managing a team of people that are all really good at it like that's I feel like that's usually where those those kind of groundbreaking projects come out and you know I think about like uh love death and robots where it's just so much talent so many talented people who've been doing it for so long you know coming together and making something awesome so and yet i heard you you were saying earlier you have personal work you're working on as well uh yeah so right now over the weekend I, i started boarding it out anyway i'm trying to for the new york city motion graphics group i'm trying to just do like a like kind of like a a short animation to just kind of like be like hey we're out here we're we're back we're doing it again we're uh because we we had stopped doing the meetups for for about two years there 2020 and 2021 we weren't but uh we're pretty much back in full swing now nice yeah it's great and for anybody living in new york just to give you guys a little shout out on that because it's been a lot of fun uh those are the last tuesday of each month 
in Williamsburg, and then the venue. What was it called again? Uh, it's called Harefield Road. Harefield. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Last Tuesday of each month. If you guys are in that area. Definitely worth checking out. Oh, definitely do. We love seeing new faces, and it's just it's such a fun way to connect with people in the industry, especially for me, because I'm out on my island. So it's nice to come into the city and <laughs> socialize. Oh, so you're, yeah, are you're you actually... In- are you in Long Island or where? Oh, no, so where... I'm in the, sorry, I'm in Staten Island. The, uh, Staten, Staten Island. Oh, the other island. Oh, <laughs> the Jesus <worst> Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. Well, how about, what's that commute like? Are you just taking kind of like the oh, ferry I, over? Uh, for me, that is, I take the ferry over and then I take the, I take the six up to uh, 14th Street Union Square and then I hop on the L. All right, for everyone God. living in Staten Island, that's how you get there. <laughs> that's not a commute that I would make. So uh, yeah. we, we do got to get on to the future part here. So really quick, I know you had some great experience. I'm looking at everything. We've been talking about Vox, but I got to ask, I am seeing that you know you worked with the NFL on some cool projects. And then, I mean, I feel like I'm looking at a picture of Tony Hawk. I don't know if that's true or not did you get to work with uh footage of the hawk i did get to work with footage of the hawk it was it, it was definitely probably probably the highlight of my career so far um wow yeah, so vox connections on both the nfl gig and the the olympics gig which is funny it's just you can't get away from it it's like seven <laughs> degrees here um real quick nfl gig uh i worked with uh and our director, Juan Badola, who also worked on some box stuff for Earworm. Mm, uh, mm, just love Earworm stuff. Insanely talented guy. Uh, he came to me in 2020 to, to do a spot for the Super Bowl about the history of Latino players in the NFL. It's like a nice three, four minute piece where everything just kind of flows seamlessly. It was just, I had about a month to get it done. And it was just like perfect time, perfect place, perfect person to work with. Loved it. Nice. And then... As for the the Olympics project, that was that was a long one. That was like a almost a year in the making. Wow! Uh, so I worked again with uh, Eval Haker on on the uh, Olympics project, who I also worked with on the Mind Explained. Good friend of mine. Uh, he did a lot of the art direction on the Olympics project. I took over for the animation, so he designed like about ninety percent of it. I handled all the animation, the VFX, keying. Luckily, no roto on that one. Thank God. Um, and then a, an additional bit of design. So he worked on the first round where we spent about six months in 2021. Or I'm sorry, we worked for six months in the summer of 2020 on the initial design and animation. And then uh, the guys at Wizard, the production studio, came back in 2021 with uh, some additional work because we ended up like repackaging how the documentary was going to be so we kind of gave it like a what'd you call it like a rap story where or like a framing story where tony hawk is kind of now like uh he's like the host he's taking you through the history of these new sports in the olympics where originally it was just going to be like a straight up full documentary piece but right, we got right. To come back in shoot some interstitials and we got to watch over some of them which was cool that's wow. amazing and just such a cool project to be on those guys are great evolves great jack and phil the guys at wizard they're all amazing and would love to work with them again 
Wow. Yeah, and just like, oh God, it's to hear like anything, having six months to do anything. I mean, that's just like where, that's where like, I mean, it, it sounds like it's like one of your favorite projects, rightfully so, because it's, you know, so, so often, I feel like you can be in a situation where you're just cranking and getting stuff done as fast as possible. And, you know, you, you kind of get at the end of a project and you look back and you're like, I actually don't even remember making like creative decisions at all about any of this stuff. It's just sort of throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. Um, yeah. So to be on a project like that sounds, sounds amazing. Oh, it's fun. And it, that was a great thing. It's just like when time isn't a factor, time's not a problem and you have time to just go through and, take things at your own speed and just really polish them up. It really just, it makes all the difference. Mm. Yeah. I always think, I, I think very often, especially recently, I've been thinking a lot about how there's, there's this piece of advice I heard. I don't know where I heard it or when I heard it, but it's been floating around in my head forever. But that idea that sometimes the best thing you can do on a project is to not look at it for like a week and go back and look, you know, even when you think it's going really well or you think it looks great, but just, giving your it's like eating the same food over and over and over again or listening to the same music like the food might taste great the, the song might be amazing but you can definitely outdo it and so sometimes you find you know i'm definitely guilty of over tweaking or you know and so so giving yourself time also in a project to say i'm going to peel myself away and not look at something for like a week and go back and with a set of fresh eyes sort of you know really take in what you're working on um i feel like that's also a great a great kind of uh, place to be in terms of your creative process oh absolutely if you if you have that that extra time to just kind of step away that's perfect a lot Cherish of time, it when you i do. don't but i, I would love to <laughs> yeah. have that a lot more often yeah exactly. <laughs> I, it is weird i mean i did it recently and i just it was after a week of me just saying i, I literally cannot work on this project anymore i it was at the point where the video was great, it was done, but then there was just, it got sent to legal departments, compliance, all of these things, just nitpicking all the little texts. And I just couldn't watch it anymore. I couldn't make, and there was some, a little bit of other notes, but I just said, I'm going to literally get to it next week. And everybody was cool with that, but man, did it, I just noticed so many other things after a week. I was like, yeah. why did I do that? Oh man, I got to totally extend this by two seconds, shorten that. I can't even yeah. believe I didn't catch this the I, first time, you know? I think what it, really helps too is if you have like a few good friends who are also motion designers, like mm -hmm. I, I'm in a group chat with a few people and then I have a couple other friends, like uh, my friend Scott and Abby and my friend Liz, who like when I'm not sure about something, I'll bounce it off them because I'll be like, what do you think about this? I'm not sure about about how it is right now and I won't give specifics, but I'll let them kind of like look through it and hear what they think. And I think that's like just a great way to kind of get a new perspective on things. Bounce it off your, your peers. Yeah. Which to uh, to the point you're making earlier, um, you know the meetup that you that you're a part of. I feel like the XR stuff that we do. That's really what all these like community. Uh, you know, we're very lucky to be in a you know a place like New York where it's just there are a lot of us doing this kind of work, and it's just a matter of kind of getting getting everyone in the same room. But it's been it's been interesting because I feel like uh, the more of those that I go to the more you realize that so much of it is just that it's just it's it's like learning from other people getting other people's perspective, like, you know, realizing your limitations as a, as an artist. Um, but that those are always the best conversations is, or, you know, when someone says, Hey, here's something I'm working on. I feel good about it. 
but I'm also not, you know, I'm totally open to critiquing it as, as harshly as you need to, because, you know, you trust the other person because you know, they're a good designer or you really like their work. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I'm very guilty of not having done that for a long time when I first started in this, mostly because I was too sensitive about my work, which is uh, <laughs> another important lesson to learn is to just like remove yourself from it a little bit. And Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I would agree completely, especially once you work in this industry for so long, I feel like there's so much stuff you just end up throwing out that's finished because of revisions or notes. And it's like, hey, all right. Yeah. You get, not, it becomes not easier over anymore. time to just let go of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm just that, and we'll move on here to the future in a second, but I just want to also state that I really do think people, if you haven't gone to any meetups or if you haven't found a community, just to always look for those because the amount of information you gain just by talking to other people in the industry, especially with so many people being remote now, and you know, you just keep hearing other people saying, I basically have just been in my room for a year or two, you know? It's a game changer, you know? I also was almost became a complete introvert after the pandemic, and I feel like I'm finally getting back to my old self. Still a little nervous when I go out and uh, saying hey to new faces, but man, just the amount of knowledge you get, the amount of connections. I mean, John, that's where we met, and now we're talking, you know? Absolutely. We're having a good time, you know? It's, it's some of the best parts. Selfishly, when you're in, like, a solid discord with everyone that's going to these meetups and like you're panicking in the middle of a project and you're like help um <laughs> this after effects a surprise shocker after effects isn't working the way i needed to and you just drop in you know within like five seconds someone's coming back at me and like i've had this exact problem here's you know that is like invaluable i sure it definitely beats going on like the adobe forums and trying oh. to like scour through the internet finding a solution so you know, it's, it's, Absolutely. it's, uh, it's helpful for everyone involved, I think for sure. And, um, and I think you also, I mean, being a part of it, not to, to kind of over overstate it, but I also think being part of a community makes you realize what you're good at, you know, or mm. what you, or the things that you're really passionate about, or like, you know, you just find yourself when you're sharing it with people who are like-minded, you're able to talk about it in a way that maybe you can't with a lot of people. And for me, it's like always helped me sort of realize, okay, like, this is something I can help people with, or these are the things that I'm constantly asking people help for. Uh, so it's like, you know, it helps you identify, you know, your strengths and your weaknesses, which is um, mm -hmm. super important in terms of like taking your career places, I think. Oh, I would, oh, I would 100%. Definitely being, being in like a Discord community or a Slack community for other motion designers like XR, MDA, or the Reddit After Effects Discord, which is where I'm lurking a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah great way to just get help with things especially a couple of weeks ago i had a lot of geo layers trouble that somebody else was able to <laughs> to jump up and help me with instead of help having to open an ae scripts support ticket <laughs> so oh yeah the uh, G the geo layers plugin for yeah uh, yeah powerful tool just sometimes I mean, powerful tool, but yeah. I feel like I, I don't remember. I don't even know if I ended up using it. Is that where you're, is that where you're basically, uh, you're like uploading JSONs just full of, of like location data or. Yeah, you can, I mean, you could do it right through the, the browser tab inside the, the actual plugin, or you can okay. go on like open maps and, and rip data from there or like build your map out and put it into the program that way. It's super powerful nice. tool. Mm. Just sometimes, sometimes it's a little not clear how to do certain things. Yeah, for sure. Well, 
we can talk forever, but we do got to move on to the future oh. part. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, we've been, I, this is, a, I love it. I, it's, man, so good. And, uh, you know, and uh, not to bring back the meetups again, but, uh, well, you know, excited to uh, see you at the meetup and keep talking more about that. But um, let's go ahead and jump into the future. The future. future. Oh, all right. Welcome to the future part. This is where we basically talk about all the future concepts of what we think might be coming down the line, where we think things are going. There's no judgment here. It's all speculation and uh, just good, friendly conversations. Um, and this is where we're also talking about like the AR, the VR, 3D, you know, NFT stuff. Well, let's just get it on going here. Uh, I, cause this is my, one of my favorite things that I'm excited about in the future, but John, have you ever, what's your thoughts on VR? You're very much one of the top 2d artists. I think we've had on here in a while. Um, so going from that 2d background, what, what, what is your thoughts on that industry? Uh, I mean, I don't have like a, a great foothold to, to speak on it. I do have an Oculus. Um, okay. haven't used it too frequently, but, uh, Hey man, you know, um, Super hot's really fun, and uh, tilt brush is really cool. Powerful tool. Haven't used it too much, only because I'm one of those uh, people that just has horrifying motion sickness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a thing. But that's the, that's the unfortunate. That's so unfortunate. I mean, not not for you necessarily, but just no, that, the that, industry in, in total. Yeah. Like that, it's just one of the biggest problems is yeah motion sickness you know it's a barrier i mean it's a barrier to entry there are people that just like physically can't even you know get into it um oh go ahead oh i was gonna i mean it's it's gotten better over time i remember like the the gen one oculus that was just ooh. but uh with the quest not as bad still it's like i could do like maybe half an hour 40 minutes max before it's like all right add build time Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of the same. I've been using it for years, and I still get it after. I mean, I went from only being able to do it for a few minutes to now I can do it for a lot longer. And funny enough, this might not be true. Uh, one of the co-founders of Oculus, and he was also, I maybe I'm wrong on this. If you ever listen to the ARVR podcast, he was just on recently, and he also helped make Guitar Hero. But he was saying that he thinks based on some certain studies that you get motion sickness uh, the better you are with accuracy. So if you've maybe played sports and you're growing up or you have very good high and, uh, you know, eye-hand coordination, that you might be more susceptible to VR motion sickness, which I thought was kind of fascinating. I don't know how true that is or where he got those studies, but that was just a little nugget. Did you play sports growing up? No, I mostly played a lot of (laughs) Counter-Strike. I think really, yeah. like, I mean, you know, again, I, I've, this is the first time hearing of this, but uh, in my mind, it makes sense. Like, I feel like even as an illustrator, right? Like if you do any type of work that's detail oriented, right? In terms of like fidelity of movement, like, you know, stifling texturing while you're doing some illustration or like really fine control of motor skills, all the stuff that I've ever done in VR is the opposite of that. It's like broad scale, you know, like beat saber where the motions are like you're throwing your whole body around you know but if if mm. like imagine trying to like write on a like two scale writing on a piece of paper in vr right now like using your handwriting like just that sort of fine fidelity i feel like your brain probably picks up on the you know disparity of that versus what it's actually like in the real world um but i am I, so i'm i was excited about this future segment too because 
uh, knowing you were coming on, the first thing I thought about knowing we, we would get to this point in the conversation is uh, text image AI stuff. Ooh, um, yeah. Yes, because I saw, AI. and I know you're also, it sounds like you lurk the uh, After Effects uh, subreddit, um, which is just a cool place to go because it's so many talented people, so much like knowledge shared. Um, and I saw recently someone who did an experiment. I don't know, you know, fill in the blank on what text. It might have been Mid Journey, might have been Dolly. But basically, they were doing collage work. They were doing puppet, you know, puppet pin tool stuff uh, with characters that, you know, mm. they were. And they set up this scene in such a way where it's like if you needed to iterate on the visual, uh, it was easy enough to just reprompt what you prompted, cut the thing out, drop it in. You know, so suddenly you've got like a cat knocking over a fishbowl off of a table in like this 2D style, but you know, several different iterations of it. And I saw that was like, that's, I mean, to me, that is where like, if you want to think about any of this stuff is not necessarily being like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job, but oh, maybe I could actually use this in my workflow day to day. You know, as someone who's so texture heavy, I feel like that was the first thing I started using it for was like generating textures. Have you, have you experimented with any of those? Or are you curious about them? Do you, you know, what, what's your perspective? So uh, I'm definitely not, when it comes to AI, I'm not a, a grab your torches and pitchfork type of person. <laughs> I don't think it's coming for our jobs. Um, there's always going to be that human element. Um, as far as texturing, I haven't tried anything like that. I've been interested in it because I've seen a lot of people do like post-processing with it. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. And to segue off of that, there is a tool that I have used in the past that uses AI for like it's specifically an animation program that's got ai tools in it called cadmium which uh shout out to them because it's kind of a small app really cool tool you feed your line art in and you feed it like a color frame and it'll do like your your flats for you for like cell animation which is like insane that's hmm. wild I feel like we both at the same time are like i'm looking that up <laughs> i'm literally on the website right now yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, check so out specifically really cool for tool. for hand drawn cell stuff that's correct. It's uh, wow. wow. That's epic. What? Well, so, what is your experience with AI? Have you been using it? I know you just mentioned that. Uh, Holy shit! Sorry, I just need. To... Oh no! This no. is wild, dude. Right, dude. Nobody knows about this. Yo, wow. that's crazy. That what, is crazy. What did you type in? I typed in cadmium and I'm cadmium dot app. Yeah, oh, sorry, dude. I really barrel. I know you're in the middle of a question. It is no, like pretty no, wild. I'm, pretty I'm, wild. I'm, I have to. The references that you're importing, they have to be, it, it can only be for a single shot, right? Yeah, so it would be like shot. It would shot need to basis. be like defined by, yeah, right. So like you, you have, your line work needs to stay consistent in terms of like framing and perspective for it to work well, probably. Well, I mean, at least that's kind of what I'm gleaning from just their homepage, but yeah, I would, that's so cool. I mean, I, I haven't done anything. I haven't really used it on a project yet. I've like played around with it a little bit. Um, I don't know about like taking stuff directly from Photoshop, but if you were using like animate or a vector based animation software, I think it would do pretty well with that where consistent, like hard vector lines, I think it'd process. Yeah. It can well. see and can actually like see the, you know, intersections of strokes and stuff. And that's awesome. There's been a few things dominating the conversation in terms of like tools for AI artists, uh, you know, and some of them just, I think the ones that have gotten most of the the coverage, I think are the things that people will freak out about and say, Oh, like concept art is dead and this, that, and the other. But mm. I mean, there are so many tools, you know, look, even like Roto brush in after effects is like, I think it's like machine learning, but you know, you could argue it's, it's like 
got its fundamentals from where we are, where we're at the AI. And yeah, like, please do automate some of this stuff that none of, like, no one likes to do a lot of the work that you have to do on projects. I don't think it's bad automating out as, you know, some of that stuff. And if anything, it, you know, leaves more space for, you know, the creative work, uh, not just from an aesthetic standpoint, but, you know, kind of like the theme of our conversation has been for you distilling really complex ideas into cool visuals. And, you know, if you can worry less about some of the technical burden, it just makes more space for that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as long as everything's on the up and up and they're not feeding unlicensed uh, artwork that they've taken from people without permission, otherwise right. AI can be used for some really powerful stuff. And there's, as we've seen with Cadmium, there's already people using it to like help those less traditional workflows that don't have AI like linked to it as greatly. Right. Mm. I also want to share one thing. Um, this is probably one of the most groundbreaking things, but it's not out yet. But if you look up, um, it's called uh, Nitro Man and Cinema 4D. Essentially, what you can do is make, say, for instance, a really crappy car, just a block with two wheels, right? And put it on a sphere. Then you type in, red lamborghini on the moon it'll turn your sphere into a moon and make the crappy little car into a lamborghini and it uses your 3d image as the image reference for what the ai projects the ai does project an image unfortunately it doesn't make an actual lamborghini right. on a moon in 3d space but pretty cool that you can kind of now build your little scene in 3d and then just be like now make it look good <laughs> right um as a photo but um pr pretty that's cool and that's yeah that's using um stable diffusion so that's it honestly just reminds me of another question i wanted to ask you john uh as a illustrator and sounds like maybe getting more you know doing a little bit more cell work have you um and not necessarily future conversation but have you touched uh grease pencil and blender at all uh that's another one i've played around with but haven't used in an official capacity and it's one of those things where it's like oh, i'm gonna learn blender soon and then i just never find the time yeah, to yeah. sit down for but sure uh, the, God, the cadmium stuff kind of reminded me of it though because i think recently they just announced like specifically the fill tool for coloring your your grease pencil work got like a new you know they replaced the algorithm with a new algorithm so it's you know more intuitive in terms of like filling your your artwork and then you show me cadmium and I'm like, okay, well, I guess you guys should just do that instead. <laughs> I mean, it, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. It seems cool. There's, cause there's a few people right now that are just primarily using blender for like 2d animation stuff or like a good mm. blend. Like, um, there's that one artist who does kind of like a lot of vaporwave stuff. What's her name? Like Dido's Dido's. They're like, a Oh French yeah. Um, and like mixing like 2d, 3d stuff. Yeah, they do that a lot. And then uh, that animator, Worthy Kids, he, I think he primarily uses Blender a lot for, for his work. Hmm. Nice. He does like yeah, the entire I, I like, love, web series with it. I love, um, I mean, I've been a Blender artist for a while now. And so the last few years, it's been really cool seeing just like it's way more in the conversation. And I mean, partly due to just, yeah, I mean, Grease Pencil is like a whole new thing. I think it's only like two or three years old and it's been um i remember back being like that was one of the first things i wanted to learn in after effects was like how do i get like you know hand-drawn stuff over live action footage and like track it into an object and 
um, you know, grease pencil is like a pretty, a pretty streamlined way of doing that. But yeah, I wanted to ask with you being a pretty phenomenal after effects artist, you know, the term motion graphics is dead or MoGraph is dead. I don't know if you've been hearing that. There was like even a conference called that. I, everybody kind of, it was just kind of a joke, but what is your kind of thoughts on After Effects? I mean, we're going into an interesting field where some things are getting more 3D. Things are accelerating, in my opinion. And it seems like After Effects hasn't been playing catch up, or maybe they have. Or, well, what's your thoughts on it? I don't want to say too much of my opinions. Yeah, we have color tag keyframes now. <laughs> cool. Very cool. I mean, I... I love After Effects, and I, I need to yeah. love After Effects because it's the main reason I have a job right now. Sure. Um, they're, they're, we're seeing like some, some apps come along that are trying to be contenders. Cavalry is coming along. It's got mm -hmm. stuff like, you know, it's got like the, it's got collision built in. It's got kind of like physics systems built in. You can do sort of the stuff you could do with Newton in it. Mm. Um, yeah. There's Rive. There's, What's the other one? There's another web-based one that's not Rive. I forget the name of it, though. I'm not too sure, to be honest. I mean, I've been kind of looking for the competitors, but I haven't necessarily ever dove too hard into it. I know Unreal Engine just kind of developed their two-face inner, like, essentially tools where you can do primitive shapes now, and they're developing a builder, and they're trying to make a way better time sequence with actual layers. It, it feels, it looks a lot like After Effects. How well that runs, I'm not too sure, but. I'm gonna check it out, because that sounds awesome, but. Uh, it's, it's really cool. Like, it, they just released it, I think maybe a week or two ago, but it is pretty wild just to see images running at real time and text running who knew 2d text could run at real time yeah you know? very true, uh, very true yeah. I, think, I think it's great because honestly uh, after effects needs some type of competition it's such a versatile mm -hmm. program and i think that there being a serious contender to it would cause some more like serious updates to be done to the program or just try and get new features in there that people ask for and yeah, I, once they start they, losing market share, they'll be like, okay, I guess we gotta, like, the track mat system just yeah. got updated finally. But like, honestly, yeah. so so that was a massive update. update. The fact mm -hmm. that it's even the fact that it's multi-threaded now finally, like, you know, I there there are things that you look at and you're like, it's frustrating because it's stuff that I know as a I've been using After Effects professionally for like a decade, and I remember this is stuff that we were asking for. I don't know, you know, CC twenty seventeen or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's, it is getting done and it's interesting because I never really considered, I mean, you're right, John, it's like, it's because I feel like there's, there's finally kind of some competition lurking, you know, that's starting to replace what, what is a very generalist program. I mean, you can composite, you can do cell animation, you could do vector animation. So After Effects is never really niched down in a lot of ways, which is why I love using it as well. But it's, you know, it kind of forces their hand a bit to say, all right, what is the stuff that we actually need to to keep current with oh absolutely yeah. and i think it's a good way to tie back to uh what michael was saying with you know even if tongue-in-cheek there's like the, these uh events called mograph is dead i think it speaks to the fact that the industry is thriving that we have all these potential competitors and new add-ons popping up it really speaks to mograph becoming 
don't want to say more mainstream, but like we're, the industry is booming, meeting more people that are coming into it now. And I think it's, it's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I want to say too, if you had the microphone and you were standing in front of the Adobe team, uh, what features would you want to be incorporated um, or maybe that you've been just wanting to have in for a long time? Hmm. I would say just rigging system built in by default. Mm. Like just buy Rainbox or maybe don't buy Rainbox because they're doing good on their own. But uh, Duik is such a great tool. It's great. I love it. Oh, it's... and yeah, really everything Rainbox has made is, is just incredible. Yeah, I think uh, I feel like that's one thing that I feel like I was a little disappointed on. I feel like we're in this kind of video is King age and after effects should have been one of the top priorities was how to visually enhance videos for TikTokers, Instagram people. I think that the, the Mac here was massive like that, that, that Mac track where you can just put it to multiple layers huge you know multi-thread that came out a while ago but that was still great getting h264 back back because they shouldn't right. have taken it away but um but yeah i feel like one of the big things that they should do is is just drop you put a billion how much money down on one program dude just pay out maybe drop 10 million dollars get all these cool plugins buy those you know, plugging companies out and just put them natively into After Effects. Boom, get Mr. Horse, you know, boom. Now you have all these cool tools for new motion designers that are coming in that are just natively there. So any new one, you know, kid that wants to get started, they have all these awesome tools now that they wouldn't have had before. And and I'm saying kid, man, I want them. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going to lie. You know, but I, I technically I bought them all already. So I'm, a little, you know, but whatever, man, just anyway, I, I, but yeah, it is, it's a tough, I mean, it's like, um, we have so many people that come to the meetup that, you know, maybe are primarily 3d artists and then they, you know, maybe they start freelancing. And so they'll be like, Oh, I got to do some stuff in after effects. And the common theme I hear from all these people are like, I've never been so annoyed that a program relies so much on like on third party plugins. I mean, you were mm -hmm. sitting here listing things that were like, and the, the crazy thing is, is that those, like you can talk about third party plugins the same way you talk about After Effects. And if you're a user of After Effects, you're pretty familiar. I mean, there's probably like at least 10 or 15 that I would argue well, I don't have to argue because like anytime I do a new install or make a new build, I can't even use the program without like 10 or 15 plugins for sure. It's just part of my workflow yeah. has become so dependent, like Overlord from Battleaxe, really anything Battleaxe makes, uh, Ray, Ray Dynamic Color from, uh, mm. uh, is it Sam, Sander Van Dyke? I think makes that one just like all these things that you're like, why isn't there color palette management? Why isn't there, you know, Duick? Why isn't there rigging? Um, another one that I actually love is Duggar, which from the same company that does Duik, um, which is just layer management, like select mm -hmm. all the layers that are locked and solo them in the timeline. So when you have a 500 layer composition, you're not, you know, there's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. That it's, but, it, but I think you're right, John. I mean, I think that 
just given the fact that it is heating up, more people are getting into the industry, more tools are being built. It's not, you know, it's still very much the industry standard. Uh, I don't think you're going to get away from it, but it's at least nice because it's like the last two years of development seem like they've outdone the last like five or seven. I think things are definitely looking up. And really quick, my favorite Mm -hmm. plugin is just one that I feel like should natively be in the program is Ease Copy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love Ease Copy. It saves so much time. I've I've been using, so I've been using Flow. Um, I also use that. So is Ease Copy, because you can copy the easing values with Flow as well. Um, It can only be between two keyframes, obviously, but you can copy, you can like read the values in and then just reapply them to other keyframes or like store them in a library. But how is Ease, I actually have not used Ease Copy. Oh, it's great because it's literally just I select my keyframes and then I select copy and then I pick the other keyframes that I want to apply them to. Just hit paste oh, and yeah, you just copy and paste your keyframes. Yeah, no, it's, like, it's literally just like it's a plugin that's just two to. buttons like, on your toolbar. Yeah, yeah, it's like how you know, but yeah, wild, it's wild. I, I mean, the color palette is my number one thing that I just like. It's like how do you not let me have a color palette? Yeah. Like I just well, want to yeah. have like eight, you know, main colors that I can just have stored away, right? Like, I don't know if they made an update, but you have to still use Ray, right? I mean, you can't. Yeah, I don't think there's a. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sorry. Last thing on you should have gotten me started on After Effects, dude. Because again, <laughs> it's like, dude, it's just one of those things you spend. No matter how much I want to do more three D work, it doesn't. I mean, ninety plus percent of my paid work the stuff that's paying my bills it's like i have to be good at it i have to love after effects and i have to be good at after effects uh it's just kind of the nature of it right now but the other this is one of those updates where i'm like man that's kind of laughable it people were requesting forever let me have my position dimensions separated xyz by default right because like Mm. if you want to start doing easing value custom easing values on one dimension you can't do it when it's coupled it took forever but uh happy to report you can now uh set that as a preference and all of your new layers and imported stuff whatever will be separate xyz by default which is great um but like that was one of those things where as soon as that happened i actually started adding up in my head my head how many times a day am i right clicking on a position property separating the dimensions like redoing the easings whatever um Mm. i mean that's probably like it it has to add up i it's too much time wasted i don't feel good about it (laughs) yeah my number one thing, and I'm just going to say, is just pre-comps. I'm going to just say it just in case. I know I've said it before in case an Adobe person is listening. Pre-comps. Just make them layers. Make it so I can open the layers inside my main pre-comp. Or even uh, say it's hard. At least give me like a control click button that will lock my main composition as I open the next one. So I don't have to like then go back to my main one, then lock that, then go down. Just, you know, little things. Little, little, little very little, little, little very lot, lot little of little quality things. Of life things. Yeah, it's yeah, like but the, uh, it's like the Bethesda effect. Mm, somebody else what? will do it, but uh, <laughs> I don't want to dog on them too hard because uh, the, no, they are they are making active improvements like faster than we've seen before, like you guys have said. So I'm yeah, I'm happy, and I hope that keep it up. Keeps you up. guys are doing great, yeah. Adobe. We love, we love keep you it up, much. Adobe. We love and you. if you tell any of the little tips we said, we'd be also very happy. Don't listen to any of the other podcasts because I definitely have just gone on <laughs> rants where I 
said a lot of <laughs> a lot of mean things about Adobe. Um, okay, so Adobe under the rug. What else? What else do we have? What else do we want to cover? What other f- uh, future? So topics? I think I think the I know this one's a little bit of a dead horse or not because I have seen an odd movement until the whole FTX thing last week. It was mm-hmm. like things were picking up and then boom, like crypto is bad again. But what is your thoughts on NFTs? Have you made any? Have you sold any? Where do you I, think that's, or do you think it has a future? You know, I can't, that's like another one where it's like, it's hard for me to speak because I haven't really done a lot of research, looked into it. I, I know a few mm. friends who have sold NFTs and like smaller artists who have made money doing it and hey, more power to you. It's more the, the larger artists, the people that didn't already need the clout that seem to have made like the biggest amount of money on it where it's like, for a while there, it seemed like the narrative was like, oh, we're holding up, like we're bringing up smaller artists, but it really seems like that never delivered. Yeah. And I think that's my, my main gripe with it. Yeah, I can't agree more. I feel, I felt the same kind of way. Like it was uh, like, this is for artists, but really it was just a bunch of degenerate, not the artists, but like the people that were buying it and saying it was for artists were just degenerates trying to flip a buck. You know, I know I had a few friends who were just buying them to make money and it was like, but they would be like, I'm supporting the artist. I'm like, well, do you mean to support the artist or you really just care about yourself making money? (laughs) Like, I don't know. All right. Well, amazing. Um, John, I just got to say thank you so much for jumping on here. It honestly was just such a good talk. Loved hearing all of your stories and, you know, what it was like working at Vox. Just thank you so much for being on here. Oh, of course, Michael, Andrew, thank you so much for having me on, guys. It was great chatting with you. And uh, hopefully I'll see you guys in person relatively soon. Absolutely.